Father, we thank you for your presence with us in worship today. Give us ears to hear your word. And give us a a spirit of openness to receive your word as you speak to us. In the grace of Christ, and in his name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Everything has a purpose. Now, we might not always be able to see it, but everything has a purpose. You know, for years, medical personnel didn't think the appendix had a purpose. I just found out this morning that it does. I did not know that till this morning, that it has a bearing on the immune system, if the person that talked to me was correct, uh, and that if, when, you're, when you take out your appendix, it makes all the other parts of your immune system have to work a little bit harder than if the appendix were there. I did not know that. You learn things in church. <laughs> Some people might say that, um, that th- there's no way you can find a purpose for disco. You know, now, I might argue with them with that. I grew up in the 70s, you know, that was kind of my genre of music. But I'm sure there are a lot of people who feel that way. We haven't yet found it, but at some point in time, maybe certainly somebody will come up with a purpose for that. You might be wondering, what in the world was the purpose of reading that passage in Leviticus today? (laughs) We have children here, come on. I almost put a rating on that, you know, the... For, for that passage. And we'll get to that in a minute. But whether we realize it or not, we think about purpose. We don't always do it consciously, but, but we think and we live with a sense of purpose. If we didn't, we just wander aimlessly. We make all kinds of decisions about purpose. We ask the question of purpose. What's the purpose of that event? What's the purpose of that class? What's the purpose of that assignment? What's the purpose of that relationship? What's the purpose of my life? And and we believe that because we worship a God who created all that is, all that he created has a purpose. As Christians, we are especially intrigued and interested in purpose, why we live our lives, the decisions we make about our lives. Purpose is always with us as Christians, and it's always with us in the church. The church has a purpose, just as we as Christians have a purpose. And one of the things that that the elders have been wrestling with over the last few years is, is coming to grips with with the purpose for our local church, this body of believers in this place. What's our unique purpose? And the end result of that is summed up in the bookmark that was in your bulletin today. And if you didn't get one, there should be more in the pew rack in front of you, maybe behind you. 
You'll notice that the opening statement on the back talks about sort of what we believe as we're sensing God leading us, what we ought to be. We believe we're an agent of God in Houghton and the surrounding areas to be a place of grace and healing. Enabled, not in our own power, but in the power of the Holy Spirit, to provide a place of safe refuge and a holy place to be the people of God that we know we should and must be. And we recognize that they can, this can only be accomplished as we individually and mutually commit ourselves to one another and to our corporate worship of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then you'll notice that the rest of it begins to, to flesh out what that's going to look like for us, how we get to that place. And you'll notice that the very first thing is worship. The very first thing is worship. And there are many passages of Scripture that we could talk about that relate to worship. We might look at the passage in Acts that we read just a few moments ago. You see the New Testament church in worship. One of the passages that, that has been coming to my mind about worship is this unusual, graphic, uh, strange to our ears passage in the first chapter of the book of Leviticus. It's not the only word on worship, but I believe in this, in this passage, we have some foundational elements of what it means for the church to worship and what it means for us to be a worshiping church. Now, right off the bat, you see that genuine worship always connects us to involved sacrifice. It's about involved sacrifice. Every sacrifice, every animal that's, that the, the people bring to sacrifice has one qualification. It's an animal without defect. It has to cost them something. You can't just say, you know, to, to your son, Johnny, I was out in the field the other day and I saw a goat that was just about to the end of its days. We've had that thing a long time It's not useful to us anymore. Go get that goat because we've got to go to the tabernacle and make a sacrifice. It doesn't matter. We just bring an animal. What difference does it make? And God says it makes tremendous difference. It does matter. If you bring a sacrifice to my tabernacle, it better be the best that you have. It can't be an animal, a wild animal you just found out in the woods somewhere. It's an animal you nurtured and you fed and you cared for. It's It's an animal that is going to cost you something when you bring it. Now you notice probably that the sacrifices in here are very distinctly, all of them are to be males. If you wonder why that is, the honest truth is males are more expendable than females. I don't like to admit that, but it, it is the case when you're dealing with livestock. I'll make that clear. Make, make that clear. You're dealing with livestock. Okay. And, and you understand that. You know, the females have, give milk to the young. Females are the ones that, that produce more livestock. But don't underestimate the male because 
the, their main purpose in, in livestock is breeding. And if you take your best male out of the flock, it is going to, to decrease the value of your flock. The, the animals that are bred are not going to be quite as good. So there's a sacrifice here. It's all about giving what is important to you. And worship is about sacrifice, about giving of ourselves. Whatever is precious, whatever is meaningful to us, we give it as an act of worship. And if we think we can come to worship and and not sacrifice, then we don't understand worship. We sacrifice money, possessions, but we sacrifice also our time. We sacrifice our abilities, our talents. We sacrifice our minds. We give those to God. Our relationships. Everything that is precious to us is about worship, about sacrifice. And we give it. Perhaps one of the most overlooked elements of sacrifice for us is giving up our own preferences our own desires, our own experiences about worship for the good of others. Understanding worship as sacrifice means giving up our individual desires for the common good of other people who are with us in worship. And that's hard for us because we're raised in a culture where we value so highly the individual. And you know that because the minute someone challenges us about it, we almost always get defensive. And we say, yeah, but what about me? And there it is. We're all about personal choice in our lives. And and personal choice is okay. But it's really not the best picture of the church. And certainly not the best picture of worship. Worship is calling us to give up what we love as individuals for the greater good of the people who are part of this fellowship. I get tired of, of us insisting on our own way. And I, when I say that, I mean myself too. You know, we, we come to worship and we tend to judge whether worship was good or bad based on our preferences and whether they were met or not. Whether we did things that we liked. We sang the songs that we liked. Or we sang them in the way that we like. It's all about us. I want what I want. And we tend to argue our point by saying, well, I believe that, that what I want is most spiritual. What I, how I see things is, is the best way to draw us closer to God. And, what, and if I feel that way, then my goal is to impress that upon you. And maybe our purest form of worship has nothing to do with our preferences. Maybe our purest form of worship It's when we come and we sacrifice what is most natural and comfortable and desirous for our worship. It's because somebody else has a different idea about worship, a different connection to God and worship, and we give up what we want so they have what they want. I wonder what would happen to us as a church if collectively we came with that kind of mindset. 
I, when I come to worship, I, I want most, more than anything to think about what's going to be best for other people as they worship. Of course, anytime you talk about sacrifice, you can't be passive about that. And it's certainly not passive here in this scripture. The person who brings the animal doesn't just bring it, hand it to the priest, and then step back and watch the priest do everything. I'll try not to be too graphic, but, you know, you bring the animal, you know, you cut its throat, you cut it into pieces, and then you hand it to the priest. And you lay your head on that animal's head, and you, to connect yourself with that sacrifice, as though you are saying... As that animal is sacrificed, that's just symbolic of me offering myself as a sacrifice. There's no passivity in worship when you come to bring a sacrifice to the tabernacle. And there shouldn't be in our worship either. We we tend to think, well, it's enough I'm here. And we come and sit back, we plop down and say, okay, what are you going to do for me today? We say that to God even. God, what are you going to do for me today? I've always loved Soren Kierkegaard's description of worship as as a drama. And he talks about the people who are involved in in the drama. There's actors, there's a prompter, and there's the audience. And most of us have a tendency to think of worship as the people up front are the actors, and God is the prompter telling them what to say and do— And everyone else is the audience. But he says the biblical picture of worship is turned around. The biblical picture of worship is the people up here are the prompters. All of us are the actors. And God is the audience. We're active in worship. How can you sacrifice and not be active in in doing it? It's inherent in that process. And the issue is not whether we get anything out of worship or not. We just keep coming to worship as an act of surrender and sacrifice. We worship because it's a spiritual discipline. We take time. We give what's important to us. It's sacrifice. But it's not just about the motivation for worship. It's also about the, the anticipation, the expectation of worship. There is, I think there is in genuine worship an anticipation that when we come, we believe God is there and God is at work. And something's going to happen whether we like it or not. You really can't understand the book of Leviticus until you get at least a cursory handle on Exodus. The the book of Exodus, particularly the last several chapters, describe the the building of the tabernacle, and some of that's in great detail. And if you're reading through the Bible, say, in a year, you get to that section, and you're just like, wow, you know, I'm trying to find something spiritual here about a laver or a ring, but I'm not getting it. But, you know, it's talking about setting up the tabernacle, and I think the reason it gives us that description is because it's building momentum and, it, and, it, and it's building energy. And you get to the end of that, and in verse 33 of the 40th chapter, it says, and Moses finished the work of the tabernacle. And then it says, and the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord 
filled the tabernacle. And Moses couldn't even enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled upon it and the glory of the Lord filled the place. Not room for Moses to even get in. The glory of the Lord has filled this tabernacle. And then God says, now Moses, I'm here. So you tell people to start bringing their sacrifices. And they bring their sacrifices because they believe God is present. God is there. It's not just an exercise that they go through. It's a spiritual act of worship because God is present. In what spirit do we come to worship? We get up on Sunday morning, you get ready, you get in the car, eventually you enter this building. What are you hoping for? What are you expecting? What are you anticipating about worship? Are you going to come and, and God's going to make you feel better? Are you going to come thinking, I'm going to have an encounter with the Almighty God? Maybe we need to think about the questions we ask before we come to worship. I suspect that in some form or another, we tend to ask questions like, how am I going to be fed today? What are you going to do for me today? How are you going to impress me today? How am I going to be encouraged? Well, how am I going to feel better today? And hopefully those things happen. But they will happen not because that's what we expect. They will happen if we anticipate the presence of God to do them. And so maybe we ought to be asking questions like, what does God want to teach me today? How does God want to convict me today? How does God want to use me in another person's life here today? Am I willing to let God push me outside of what's comfortable in the style of worship or the people I talk to or and the mistakes that people make today. If our attitude is the anticipation of meeting God, then you know what happens? All of our preferences just sort of become a lot less important. Our attitude becomes less self-absorbed, and we become more humble, and that leads to openness to God, which leads to amazing encounters with God. And amazing encounters with God lead to grace and joy and blessing. And then we have strength to go from this place and to live in the world, which is another element of worship. Genuine worship is not just about involved sacrifice and anticipating the presence of God, but genuine worship leads us from a gathering in a place to daily life in the world. And if worship doesn't lead us to live for Christ in the world, I'm not sure we've really grasped worship. And you notice that this act of sacrificial worship, is, it's going to affect the person's life. And they brought this, this one of the top animals in the flock. When they go home and they walk through their fields, that animal's not there anymore. And the children walk around and go, hey, what happened to that sheep? And the neighbor, leaning over the fence, talking to you, looks out and says, hmm, bull's gone, went to the tabernacle today, huh? If it's genuine worship, people should notice that. 
It ought to have a bearing on, on how we live outside of these gatherings. It affects life. We give something of ourselves to God, and he takes that and he infuses us with power to live in the world. And that thing that's missing is what reminds us that God is with us. And God's at work. I think one of the great heresies of the church is thinking that, that real worship is, is sort of closing in everything around us and, and setting ourselves off from the rest of the world. But that's not what worship is for. Worship is about taking what God does for us and in us and through us here and sending us out to be his people. And it is being his people in the world. I was listening this week to a pastor, Francis Chan, who was talking about how in America we are taught that salvation and our faith is, is all about us. I'm saved from my sin. You're saved from your sin. And it's all about me. It's all about you, me and Jesus, and you and Jesus. But it's so much bigger than that. It is that. It it certainly is that. But it's bigger than that. It's about us being the body of Christ as something bigger than just you or just me. It's us together as the body of Christ in this world. And it's sort of like he said, if if I were to send you a gift to your house and you open up the package and there was a note from me saying, I hope you enjoy this. And it was a pair of ice skates. And you're like, oh, I love ice skating, which I knew. That's why I sent you that gift. And you're like, this is great. And you put them on, lace them up, and head right over to the, to the nearest ice skating rink. And you're doing turns and twists and all kinds of things. And sort of in your own world, out there on the, on the ice. And, and the next day, you go to a local pond that's frozen over. And the same thing. And, and you meet a few other people along the way. But... You're really just perfecting your figure skating skills, and you're having a great time. It's wonderful. And a couple of days later, I come over to your house, and you are just effusive with your thanks to me for those ice skates. And you tell me all about what you've been doing with them, and how you're improving your skating, and, you know, and you're getting so much better at turns and twists and, and axles and all those things that figure skaters do. And I say, oh, well, that's great, but that's not why I gave you the skates. I gave you the skates because I'm starting a hockey team and I was kind of hoping you'd be a part of it. We're going we're gonna to get the guys, best guys we can together and we're going to go join the league and we're going to win that league because we're all skating together. And you say, oh, I thought it was just about me doing my thing. And I think in the church, we kind of see it that way. Yes, we're together we're not really together. More often than not, we are a group of individuals rather than being just a group. And here's the thing about taking worship into the world as the people of God. We need to be that group in the world. We can only do so much as an individual Christian. And most of what we can do as an individual Christian is to talk about Jesus. And we need to talk about Jesus, and that's good. And we can have some influence. But Jesus says, people will know we're his disciples if we love 
each other. That's what's going to bear witness to God in the world. And that's what we're trying to do as we come together in worship. Getting so connected to each other in community and in oneness of spirit that we go out into the world as the people of God. So, when I treat you poorly and you still love me, the people watching say, wow, you still love them for that? Who does that? And then it gives us the opportunity to say, Jesus. And, and I hurt you and I gossip about you. I tell lies about you. And you forgive me? And people watching say, you forgave him for that? Who does that kind of thing? We say, Jesus. Now we're not just talking about Jesus. We are showing people Jesus. But that begins in worship. It begins in our connectedness in worship. We so encounter the living Christ here and and it binds us together that we go out as the people of God. And there's one other element of worship and that is that ultimately it is all about God. It's all about God. It's focused on God. That's what gives us the grace and the power to go out in the world. It's it's clear from this passage that the ultimate end of their sacrifice is pleasing God. Three times here he says, if you do it the way I've asked you to, it will be a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Now I have to tell you, I wrestle with that because I worked in a meatpacking plant for two years. It's not a pleasing aroma. And it wasn't even a slaughterhouse, and we weren't burning carcasses out back either. It doesn't smell that good. I had a friend who was a big, burly football player. He didn't even last the first day. He said, I can't take it. It smells. I can't eat. And yet God says, you put that all together the way I want you to, I love that smell. I don't think he's talking about the actual aroma of a burning carcass. I think he's talking about what he sees as his people come in humility and surrender and sacrifice, giving the best of what we have together. That's pleasing to him. But the hard thing is, just as in the tabernacle and in the temple, It smelled. So does the church. I mean, worship can be messy. Worship is messy. We're bringing together into one place all of our problems and difficulties and struggles, all the stuff in our lives, and we're banging up against one another. And our lives, we're trying to interweave our lives. And and when you do that, You're going to to hit each other. You're going to create messes. There's going to be problems. 
But I still think that God says, I would rather have your messy problems because you're trying to do the right thing. You're trying to get your lives connected, focused on me, than not have it at all. You know, you know the feeling when you, when you buy a new car, you drive a new car off the lot, or, or, you, or you take a new computer out of the box, get a new cell phone. You, know, you love that feeling of looking at that vehicle or the computer or the phone, and, and it's clean, and it's perfect. And then you remember that day, and you walk out of the store, and you look at your car, and somebody has dinged it with their door. That first thing, oh, it's so frustrating. Or you, you get a scratch across the top of your laptop or on the screen of your phone. Like, oh, it's so frustrating. And I wonder if as the, as the last ring of the tabernacle is put into place and Moses stands back and says, ah, that's good. And the priests walk in and they see it and the place is clean and pristine. If Aaron doesn't step back and say, as with frustration, he watches the first drops of blood fall onto the grate. And the first odor of that, of that first carcass filling that place. And he wants to say, stop it. No, wait. This is not what it's supposed to be. It's not supposed to be this way. Get out of here. We're keeping it clean. But then it, wouldn't be worship. The reality is, worship is bringing stuff to the tabernacle. It's bringing our lives together, messes, struggles, burdens, all of it, and throwing them in the fire. And sometimes it stinks. But God says, if, if you're doing it as an act of sacrifice and worship, if you're doing it in your attempts to connect together and to focus on me, I don't care what it smells like to you. I love it. I love that aroma. That's worship. I was just reading this week that this word that's translated offering actually means a thing brought near, a thing brought near. And, and it, it tells us that, that the coming to sacrifice, the coming to worship is an attempt to get near God. And it's God's way of establishing this process of getting near to him. And the great joy we have is that Jesus has become our great once and for all sacrifice. We don't have to butcher bulls and calves and birds. Jesus has paid that for us. He's our sacrifice. He has brought us near to God, the writer of Hebrews tells us. But there's still worship. And in worship, we continue to draw closer and closer to God. If we'll come with that spirit of involved sacrifice. And if we'll come caring about one another, a desire to take what we have and out into the world 
with all of it, all of it focused on God. My prayer is that we will be that kind of church, a worshiping church of sacrifice and expectation and mission, and most of all, focused on God. Father, make us that kind of church. Make us a worshiping church. Through Christ Jesus.